I'm Michelle, certified personal trainer and certified nutrition coach. And I'm Marissa, and I'm a certified nutrition coach and group fitness instructor. And this is the Strong and Simple Podcast. We're tackling the latest fads, trends, and hot topics in the nutrition, wellness, and fitness industries using science and conversation to bust myths and give you the information you need to navigate the bullshit. Tune in for your twice a week truth bombs every Tuesday and Friday. Hey folks, welcome back to the Strong and Simple Podcast. This is one half of your hosting duo, Marissa, and doing something a little bit different for the mini-sode this week. So prior to uh, teaming up with Michelle to do the Strong and Simple Podcast, I had a solo podcast called the Well and Simple Podcast, named after my former business name. And I'm going to actually play for you this week an episode from that podcast. And the reason for that is I've spent some time this week really educating myself about the uh, somewhat recent recommendations that the American Academy of Pediatrics has come out with for pediatric physicians in dealing with children who have a BMI that falls into the overweight or obese category. And, you know, just just learning about or learning more about these recommendations has just been a really infuriating process. Um, you know, the, these recommendations, if you look at the report, it's a report that pays lip service to the fact that there are so many multitudinous factors that contribute to body weight and that are well beyond the control of a child, let alone an adult, while also telling physicians to double down and really force conversations about children losing weight and goes on to recommend things like weight loss surgery and prescription weight loss drugs for children of certain ages. And as I was kind of educating myself about this topic, uh, it reminded me of this episode that I'm about to play for you from my previous podcast, um, talking about an article that had been in NPR at the time about teens undergoing bariatric or weight loss surgery. And it, it was just kind of like the parallels between this, you know, lack of acknowledgement for the fact that this is a lifelong change. This like having bariatric surgery is something that means you are going like it's going to impact you for the rest of your life. And there's very little attention paid to the negative side effects that come from bariatric surgery, not just for adults, but particularly for children. The fact that we don't really have much long-term data on children and bariatric surgery and the impact that it has on them. And yet these recommendations are being made. And so I thought that it would be a good idea to share that episode with you all this week to kind of highlight a lot of the issues that come with recommending weight loss surgery for somebody who is under the age of 18, uh, let alone an adult. So I hope that you will give this a listen and I hope that it gives you some food for thought. I think it definitely will. Um, you know, things like 
nutrient deficiencies, the things like surgical complications, the question of like, can, like, you know, how much autonomy does somebody under the age of 18 actually have to consent to that kind of surgery and to consent to a lifetime of changes? So with that, I'm just going to segue right into that audio. Thanks for listening. So the reason why I want you to bear with me is um, there's an NPR story this week that made it onto my radar. And I have a lot of thoughts and a lot of feelings about it. And I think there are a lot of points for discussion here. And I hope that this episode will prompt you awesome, wonderful, amazing listeners to maybe engage in some conversation about this topic with other people. Um, and I hope that it might, you know, cause you to, to do some thinking on this topic, because I think this is a really important topic. Um, so the way I'm going to do this, and this might be a mistake, I fully friggin' admit that, but I'm going to work my way through this article with y'all. Um, and kind of offer you my thoughts bit by bit. I think that's the most organized way to do it and the best way to avoid my just sitting here ranting <laughs> for a half an hour. Um, there are going to be a lot of caveats here. You know, we are talking about minors. Um, so let's just, ugh, let's just do it. Uh, okay. So the groan is because that was literally my first reaction when I, I saw this headline, I was like, fuck, okay, let's, let's just fucking do this. Teenagers in bariatric surgery or gastric surgery. Um, if you're not familiar with what these surgeries are, it is also known as weight loss surgery. This is where they go in and surgically alter the patient's stomach in the hopes that that will prompt a large amount of permanent weight loss in the patient. And there are a number of different ways to do this. Um, you know, there's the, the sleeve. I don't think they do lap band anymore. There's complete gastric bypass. There's a number of different options. Some of them more dramatic than others in terms of results and outcomes. Um, it's also important to note that all bariatric surgery comes with significant risk all of it, um, some more than others, but we really need to bear in mind here that this isn't like going in and getting a mole removed, okay? This is life-altering, permanent life-altering surgery that is going to entail not insignificant changes. These are major changes in a patient's life for fucking ever. Okay, so we need to keep that in mind as well when we're talking about teenagers, people who are not even legally allowed to vote undergoing this surgery. I mean, teenagers, I mean, a teenager's perception of forever <laughs> isn't even that awesome. I mean, I'm 34 and my perception of forever isn't really that awesome. So we really need to, I, I think, keep all of that in mind as we're working through this. So this article starts by highlighting uh, this particular story of this young woman. And the opening line is that her body had become a battleground. Like, can we just pause? 
on how fucking problematic that is. Right. And you read further on and basically it explains, you know, she had been gaining weight from very, very early on. And her pediatrician was always telling her mother that she needed to lose weight. Her mother was always trying to put her on different diets and the diets never worked. And <laughs> like, yeah, her body was a battleground because of these adults telling her how she was supposed to look and putting the blame on her. I mean, if you look at this, you know, starting at ages five or six was when this all happened. They were blaming a five or six year old for her weight. Like, just let that sink in for a moment. Five and six, she's not cooking her own fucking meals, right? She's not going to the fucking grocery store and buying her own food. She's definitely not sneaking out of the house to, you know, get food, you know, coming back with whatever. So the fact that from this early age, and you can really pick up on this as you read through her quotes, you know, this early age, she's been giving this message that there's something wrong with her and it's her fault. And you can see how she really internalized that. She was feeling guilty. She was feeling depressed. And this whole opening really gives me a lot of questions here, right? So it goes on to say every diet backfired. As a teen, she topped 300 pounds, started developing diabetes and liver and joint problems. Um, and then it goes on to say she couldn't shop for clothes with friends. Boys rejected her. Her weight disqualified her from playing lacrosse or horseback riding. All of that took a toll on her mental health. Fat phobia is what took a toll on her mental health. Let's be clear here, okay? It wasn't her body that took a toll on her mental health. It was fat phobia from her mother, from her physician, from her friends, from her classmates, from the fashion industry, okay? That's what took a mental toll on her. So it goes on to say that um, one day she heard her mother disparage a family friend's decision to get bariatric surgery. In her mind, it's a cheap attempt to lose weight. You could do this if you just worked harder. It's a waste of time because you won't change your habits and it's extremely dangerous. Okay, so this is more of this really problematic mindset that this young woman was brought up with right? Again, this is placing the blame on the individual for their weight and not considering any other factors that go into how much we weigh. And this, again, it comes back to fat phobia, right? We assume that a person's weight is a direct result of how much they eat and how little they move and nothing else. We don't ever stop to think about, okay, could they have some underlying conditions that may be contributing to their inability to lose weight? Could it be that they don't have access to fresh, healthful foods? Could it be, you know, maybe they aren't able to move around in the way that they want to? Um, you know, maybe, you know, there are all of these things, right? So, so many factors that go into our body weight. And when we place the blame on an individual and say, you did this, this is your fault. Like they did something wrong. That's harmful. That is very problematic. And so can you imagine as this young girl who is going through life, being told that her body is wrong 
And then being told that this surgery is cheating and it's on her to do the work to lose weight. Otherwise, she's lazy from her own mother. Okay. I'm mom. I am fucking calling you out on this. You are a problem here. All right. This is not okay. This is the kind of stuff that children should not hear parents saying. Okay. So this is the really problematic intro that this story starts out with here. Um, so it goes on, you know, obviously <laughs> it goes on, you know, she got surgery, yada, yada, yada. So we have here this really, I guess I kind of want to say tale as old as time here. This is a really common tale where we have children who have what we have deemed a weight problem and their parents start telling them what they can and can't eat. Their physician starts telling them what they can and can't eat. They're put on diets. They are told that they need to weigh less. They are told that their body is wrong, that they need to change their body. And we also at the same time know how incredibly fucking harmful it is when we talk to children like this. In my opinion, children do not belong on diets. Children should not be taught some foods are good, some foods are bad. Children should not be taught that there is something wrong with their body and they need to change it. So, you know, from the outset here, we have so many problems and this is just one story of hundreds and thousands, I can guarantee you. And all this does is create more issues for that child as they get older in terms of their mental and emotional health, in terms of their relationship with food, their relationship with their bodies. This is how we end up with folks who are chronic dieters, who have eating disorders and body dysmorphia, and they end up with chronic health conditions because of that. This is looking at the human body as something to be fixed. And yes, I understand that she had developed chronic health conditions. She had developed diabetes, liver and joint problems. And yes, those are health conditions that need to be addressed. But treating weight as the sole cause can be a very slippery slope to other problems. And again, this isn't an issue that she created. So Apparently, according to this article, obesity specialists in the American Academy of Pediatrics now strongly endorse bariatric surgery as a good option for teenagers who are struggling with severe, severe obesity. They strongly endorse a dangerous surgery with lifelong ramifications for folks who are literally just starting their lives and cannot possibly fathom what lifelong implications could be like. Instead of, let's talk about food deserts. Let's talk about access to healthful foods. Let's talk about access to safe green spaces. Let's talk about income disparity. Let's talk about healthcare disparities. Let's talk about accessibility problems. Let's talk about how we approach weight in the society 
is a bigger problem for health outcomes than weight actually is. <sighs> we have to remember through all of this, there's a lot of money in bariatric surgery. It is a profit-making, profit-seeking industry. And bariatric surgeons performing this procedure make a shitload of money off of it. So we really need to keep this in mind. What else does this article say? Okay, so then they quote Dr. Thomas Inge, a director of adolescent bariatric surgery at Children's Hospital of Colorado and a lead scientist on a multi-year National Institute of Health study tracking young bariatric patients. He says, the effective treatments for severe obesity in adolescents are really just one. That is bariatric surgery. Ignoring access to healthcare, access to healthful foods, access to green, space, green spaces. Let's talk about genetic factors. Like, so then he goes on to say, the unwritten story here is the remarkable disparity between the number of teenagers that are eligible for the surgery versus the number that are getting it. So he thinks it's a bad thing that more teenagers are not undergoing this surgery. So it says, Inge, I don't even know if I'm saying his name right, I-N-G-E, estimates that only a tiny fraction of the young people eligible in the U.S. get bariatric surgery. Barriers to the treatment include its high cost, if not covered by a particular health plan, a lack of access to health care in general by many teens, and stigma. Huh. You know what's really funny? All of those are the same factors that influence a person's weight and their overall health to begin with. The same factors that are preventing them from accessing bariatric surgery. So do you also see the irony here in him lamenting that more adolescents are not receiving this surgery while also declaring it the only effective treatment? And of course, it goes on. Also, research shows the procedure is offered much less frequently to people of color who disproportionately experience severe obesity and yet are less likely to be referred for treatment. This isn't news. It's not news. People of color across the board forever have had less access to medical procedures and healthcare in general. And again, we come to this treating weight as an illness to be treated and forget that weight is not an indicator of health. What is an indicator of health? Habits and access. Are people eating mostly healthful foods? Are people able to eat when they are hungry? Are people able to move their bodies in intentional ways without risking their well-being or safety? Are they able to access regular health care for basic health care maintenance? <laughs> That's really what is the problem here. Those are what are, are indicative of a person's overall health. It also goes on to say, interestingly, health insurers deny about half of teams' initial requests for the surgery, though Medicaid programs do sometimes approve the procedure in this group. Um, and this, the cost, so this is the kicker here, it's $20,000 a surgery. $20,000. 
Of course they want to perform these surgeries. And it's unclear whether that figure also includes the money they make for pre-op and post-op appointments as well. That's not really clear from this article. And I'll need to do some more research there. And we also need to keep in mind that we live in a country where healthcare costs are not being regulated at all. And so a surgery that costs $20,000 at one hospital might cost 60 at another hospital. And there's no justification for that. So it's unclear also whether 20 grand is looking at the low end, the median, the average, or the high end of this surgery. So that is a little bit more here. Let's do a little bit of talking about the long-term effects here that seem to be completely neglected so far anyway in this article. Okay, so I've alluded to some of the risks and long-term effects of bariatric surgery a couple times. So let me just tell you what they are. Um, so this is from the Mayo Clinic. Um, that's my source. Um, <laughs> so you know I'm not just making shit up. Um, so let's talk about like more immediate risks that come with the surgery itself. Um, so first, excessive bleeding. Um, yikes. Infection, which, okay, yeah, that's a risk with any surgery. Adverse reactions to anesthesia, again, pretty common. Blood clots, again, pretty common. Lung or breathing problems. Here's a fun one. Leaks in your gastrointestinal system. Everybody wants to deal with that, right? Um, and death is another one. It's listed as a rare outcome or a rare risk, but it is definitely a risk. And yes, death is a risk with a number of other surgeries. Um, but for a adolescent getting on the table and risking death for weight loss surgery, it's a little bit harder to swallow, isn't it? Now let's talk about long-term risks. Cause as I mentioned multiple times before, um, there's, this is a lifelong investment when you get bariatric surgery. It is in like a one and done thing. There are a lot of other things that can come with this surgery. The first being that the way you eat is forever changed. Um, you know, there's this misunderstanding or misconception, and I honestly, I'm going to call it out. It's a willful misconception um, that you get the gastric surgery and then you can go about and just do everything the way that you were and you're not going to gain weight. And that's simply not true. First of all, you can't eat as much, um, like physically. Um, there's also certain foods that you used to really love. You might not ever be able to eat again because they might make you sick. Um, I know people who this has happened to. So there's another thing. You might end up losing some of your favorite foods. And then on top of that, because you have altered the structure of your stomach and, uh, you know, by extension, your entire gastrointestinal tract, you are at risk of malnutrition forever. And so you have to be eating in a certain way. There's a special diet that you have to follow and you need to be taking supplements to make sure that you don't develop malnutrition as well. So in a way, it's kind of like a new diet that we, you know, decide to take on. So that's something that a lot of people don't really think about when they think about gastric surgery. It's not this like one and done, um, you know, quick and easy solution. It really is a lifetime investment. You do have to make changes and they're not insignificant changes. Okay. So um, among other long-term risks and complications, bowel obstruction, 
dumping syndrome, which um, can include diarrhea, flushing, lightheadedness, nausea, or vomiting. It is god awful. Um, just yeah. Um, gallstones, hernias, hypoglycemia, or low blood sugar, which again makes sense if you're not eating enough. Ulcers, vomiting, right? Eating too quickly, eating a little bit too much, eating the wrong foods can lead to vomiting. Acid reflux is also a risk factor uh, or a risk. And I know several people who now have acid reflux following the surgery. Um, the need for a second or revision surgery or procedure, not uncommon. And then again, we have death listed as rare. Okay. So there are, that's a long list of things. And these are longer term, right? So this isn't just like, oh, it might happen within the first month of sur after surgery. It's This could be, these are, could be recurring symptoms. These could start happening years, months down the line. This isn't just like, oh, just push through it for the next couple of weeks and then you don't have to deal with it anymore. These are things that we are taking on as a long-term risk when we undergo bariatric surgery. And so Asking somebody who's 15 years old to undertake these possible lifelong complications is, God, it's asking a lot, isn't it? And again, there's this question of brain development and maturity. Is somebody who is 15 years old truly able to grasp the concept of having these risks present for years and years to come or for the rest of their life, right? Malnutrition is like, as an example, that's always going to be a risk. It doesn't go away. So, you know, that's, they're always going to have to be vigilant about what they eat and making sure that they're taking their supplements, et cetera, et cetera. So, this is, you know, if for no other reason to be dubious of bariatric surgery for adolescents, these are some pretty good reasons, aren't they? And I'm not, you know, this isn't me trying to do to, you know, use scare tactics to sway anybody to share my opinion. This is me sharing facts um, that these are the risks. Literally, this is on the Mayo Clinic website, and this is what they will tell you before you sign your consent form for surgery. Um, so, you know, I think, I think this is something that's missing from a lot of the conversations, the conversations around bariatric surgery for anybody, but even adolescents as well, really tend to focus on weight as the problem, weight loss not happening, surgery as the solution. And we miss out on, okay, that, and also here are these other possible problems um, that could be taken on. So this is really um, definitely another reason why I'm taking some issue with uh, particularly this physician saying that this is the only effective treatment and acting as though, you know, there is this negligence going on if adolescents aren't taking the opportunity to undergo bariatric surgery. So let's talk about what we know about gastric surgery in adolescents. So I tried to find when they first started performing gastric surgeries in adolescents, and I was not able to find that information. I did find one source that said 
that gastric bypass surgery was first performed in adolescents in the 1970s, um, but wasn't able to find any information about um, whether that was like the widespread use of it or whether that was just, you know, one instance, like, you know, experimental, um, I hate to use the word experimental, but you know, whether that was like a trial type thing, or if that was when it was like officially in use. And I was also unable to find information on whether that gastric bypass is the same as we know it, uh, today. But there is, you know, this is something I will say, you know, hasn't been taken lightly by the medical and surgical communities, um, obviously, because these are still developing human bodies and we need to and, and brains, I should say. And so um, the recommendations out there is that when gastric surgery is undertaken for a teenager, it needs to be undertaken by a multiple multidisciplinary team that should involve not just the surgeons, but also a primary care physician, also um, psychotherapist, also nutritionist. So definitely kind of taking extra precautions to ensure that the risks of any adverse effects are minimized as much as possible, which I think is really important, um, particularly given the fact that this is going to result in dramatic lifelong changes, which will be difficult to process and cope with. And on top of that, also kind of working through the relationship with food and your body and, you know, surgical complications and the things that could come up. And, you know, even things like the additional attention that people get when they start to lose weight, how to cope with that. So I can definitely appreciate that this isn't just something that is being undertaken the same way across the board for children and adults. I think that that's very, very important. And hey, that's great. Um, so in terms of what we have for data regarding outcomes is um, actually, it seems that according to the data that we have, um, adolescents who undergo bariatric surgery actually have seem to have um, not not better outcomes, I guess more pronounced better outcomes when it comes to the resolution of things like type 2 diabetes and um, you know fatty liver disease than adults who undergo bariatric surgery. So it seems like those those benefits are more pronounced in adolescents. Um, so that's, you know, that's interesting, um, and definitely, you know, a good thing to see those chronic health conditions being resolved in a very positive way. Um, so there's that information, um, you know, trying to, I've been trying to research and it's very frustrating how difficult it is to find this information. Um, you know, not only how long we have been performing these surgeries on adolescents, but also what data we have on long-term side effects. Um, you know, I found an article from 2009 that said, you know, we don't have enough data to know long-term side effects. So it seems like the widespread use of this was relatively new as of 2009 and, you know, more research was necessary as well. Um, so that's something that I definitely want to 
research more. You know, I think really the big thing here is the fact that there's so much to cope with in the long term. Um, and it seems like the big thing that's really being emphasized in the data and within the community is making sure that there aren't any long-term nutritional complications. Um, you know, being younger, teens are going to recover better from surgery than adults do. You know, obviously there will be exceptions to that, but by and large, that is what has been seen, um, that the results tend to be better, that they tend to recover better. Um, and the big concern is making sure that those nutritional needs are met and there aren't any nutritional deficiencies um, that can lead to bigger issues down the line. So, you know, it's, I'm not, my point in this episode isn't to be demonizing bariatric surgery for adolescents, but what I'm saying is we really need to be hypercritical of this as an option for this age group. And we also really need to consider the circumstances that have created this situation where we have surgeons saying bariatric surgery is the only effective treatment for adolescent obesity. Um, I mean, I think like that's one hell of a claim to be making. And we really need to examine how we got to this point. And we really also need to revisit the way that we we talk about weight though the way that we approach weight as well i think that that's really really important so that's the episode um i wanted to share that in particular kind of focusing on how problematic recommendations of weight loss surgery for youth really are and I know that Michelle and I both want to have a greater discussion about the recommendations that the American Academy of Pediatrics has recently come out with. Um, and, you know, we would love to have somebody who's more of an expert on to talk about it as well. But, you know, from my own perspective, I think that the recommendations miss the opportunity to have or to have physicians having much more important conversations with their patients and asking much more important questions of their patients. Instead of discussing weight loss with them, asking questions like, where did you sleep last night? And are you safe at home? And when was the last time you had a meal? And are you safe at school? And focusing on these factors that we know are going to have an immense impact on health and well-being rather than focusing on weight loss as a behavior and pushing this individual blame and pushing this weight loss agenda on folks when really what needs to happen is systemic change. If we truly care about an individual's health, which is always what these conversations is couched in, right? It's couched in, oh, I'm just worried about your health and your well-being. Um, so yeah, I hope listening to this episode is able to kind of highlight mm, some of the issues with recommending weight loss surgery for the youths in particular. Um, and there are definitely more conversations to be had around these topics. This has been an episode of the Strong and Simple podcast. 
If you'd like to learn more about any of the topics we've discussed or about any of our guests, please make sure that you visit us on Instagram at Strong and Simple Podcast. And if there's ever any topics, questions, concerns, anything that you would like to suggest to us, please feel free to email us at strongandsimplepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We, Michelle Farrell and Marissa Zabo of the Strong and Simple Podcast, reside on Pawtucket land. We acknowledge the land and the Pawtucket people, as well as the land and the people of the many Native nations of whom the land belongs, to respect and honor them and their land, as well as to be mindful of the harm colonialism has and continues to do on the Indigenous people of the United States and the world. This land acknowledgement is our commitment to support Indigenous peoples and their voices in the struggle against systemic oppression and for human rights, as well as to push against the canceling and erasure of their history, their stories, their culture, and their present. We encourage you to visit native-land.ca to discover whose land you are residing on, as well as ways to support Indigenous folks. content of this podcast represents the views and opinions of Michelle Farrell, Marissa Zabo, and their guests, and is not intended to be individualized advice or recommendations. Nothing in this episode is to be construed as medical advice or to substitute for individualized fitness or nutrition advice. Always consult with the appropriate professional for your own needs.